I could have hit 100k by now. Like I know the content I would need to put out there to hit 100k. But would those people be my clients? Absolutely not. So what are you doing this for? Are you doing it for fame? Do you want to be an influencer? Because even if you want to be an influencer, you have to hit some kind of engagement metric. People that are buying audiences are not getting the deals that you think they're getting. If it's to build a service business or a product business... What do you really need those numbers for? I think that our view on numbers has changed so much, specifically in the industry. Maybe it hasn't quite spread out. And I know that there is a certain social proof or whatever that does come with those numbers. But, you know, they're called vanity metrics for a reason, aren't they? welcome to the Audience Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Hutchison, and I'm delighted you're here. This podcast exists to help you learn how to use organic marketing, that's marketing that costs nothing or very little, to grow your business. Because far too often, small business owners spend lots of money on advertising without getting the results they were expecting or hoping for. And it doesn't need to be that way. So here on the podcast, every week we dive into strategies that will help you grow a business that's here for the long term. Sometimes on short solo episodes and sometimes on longer guest episodes like this one. On today's episode, I'm delighted to welcome ADHD founder, strategist and mentor Amanda Perry. Amanda has started and sold multiple businesses and is now on a mission to help us create brain-first, burnout-proof bank-building businesses. Amanda has supported over 2,000 founders so far and many more to come, I'm sure. Amanda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for asking me. You're so welcome. So I've been following you for years, but for anyone who hasn't come across you before, could you let us know a little bit about what you do and who you are? Yeah, absolutely. It's such a strange question. I'm still not quite sure who I am. I sold my agency last year, which was my identity for probably the last five years. So yeah, I feel like I'm definitely kind of coming out of that phase. After you sell a business, it's a bit weird. Your identity is a bit up in the air. So what I'm working on mainly now is still working with founders like I always used to do, but whereas the focus used to be very much marketing focus, now it's much more broader focus to make people's businesses work for them, essentially work for their brain, working with a lot of ADHD founders, but whoever I'm working with is very much about making their business work for them. So one of what I think is the most impressive facts that I know about you is that you've launched and sold four different businesses. Can you tell us a bit about those? I mean, Nikki, I've launched way more than four businesses. It's just (laughs) those four businesses that have gone on to, to find some level of success and I've sold them. So my first ever business, I ended up selling that, selling the assets off at the end of that one. Then that was a cake business. Then I started a baking kit subscription box business from that. And how long ago are we talking here? When did you start these? So I started my first business 15 years ago. I started my first business. I decided to leave my corporate job in BT, which was the only corporate job I'd ever had. The day that they were queuing round the block at Northern Rock, you know, when everyone was trying to get their money out of Northern Rock in the, what did we call it then? The 
credit crunch, wasn't it? Oh yeah, remember? Not the cost of living crisis. That one was. Yeah. That one was a yeah. whole different brand. So <laughs> yeah, that day was the day I was like, I think I'm going to do this. Decided to leave my very kind of secure job. 15 years ago. So sold that business. That was around 2014. I had that business for about six or seven years. Then took a bit of time out because that was quite a difficult business story. Started a baking kit subscription box, which did okay. That wasn't a huge sale, but it did all right. Learned a lot about digital marketing in that time. That was really where I kind of cut my teeth, as they say, in digital marketing. Alongside that, I'd also started a chocolate brand, which I sold at pretty much the same time. Actually, the reason I sold them was because I had learned so much about digital marketing that other people were asking me to help with their marketing. And I was kind of sat there thinking, do I want to like pack boxes of sugar, flour and sprinkles for a tenner or do I want to help people with their marketing, which I loved. I'd like just really, really loved it for, you know, with obviously no costs. It was just my time. And so that was a bit of a no brainer. And that's where the agency was born, which I went on to sell as well. Amazing. I remember having that realisation as well, because my first business was a kids hip hop dance company. And I remember thinking, do I want to keep trying to sell thousands of classes for a fiver? Or do I want to try and work with one client and probably make the same amount of money? Yeah. <laughs> Doing something that is, like you say, brain first. It's really rewarding. Yeah, absolutely. So you've obviously mentioned ADHD briefly and you're very public about your diagnosis. Yeah. And you now work with founders supporting those who are maybe pre-diagnosed, self-diagnosed or diagnosed with ADHD. Are you happy to share what led you to go for your own diagnosis? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it was actually seven or eight years ago, I was doing a accelerator, NatWest Accelerator. And someone that I met there mentioned to me that she'd just been for a diagnosis for ADHD. And I think I probably laughed at her. I was like, that's not a thing, you know? I think at the time, I probably didn't even believe that naughty boys actually had it. I thought it was just, you know, one of these kind of made up, newfangled things. And kind of laughed. And the reason she was telling me is she said, you know, the reason I'm telling you is because I think you're probably worse than I am. So I definitely laughed that off. It was a few years later, someone in my family started researching it for themselves. And I'm ashamed to say I had a very similar reaction. I was like, that's not a thing. You know, we're talking probably four years ago, maybe five years ago. And the more they kind of shared with me, the more I recognised myself. And it turns out that that was the reason they were sharing the content with me, because they'd recognised it in me as well. So ultimately, there was three people in my family were diagnosed at the same time, which was incredible. You know, I speak to people every day who've got no one to talk to, and people either don't believe them, or they don't understand, or they just don't really care. And I had this incredible experience where, you know, we just had this kind of inbuilt support network, which was and still is amazing. Yeah, that must have made such a difference. A friend of mine has recently been diagnosed and I noticed that she's getting a bit of pushback from people saying, Mm. oh, you're talking about it all the time. You know, not everything has to be about ADHD. Yeah. Obviously, I've shared before that my son has ADHD, so I'm kind of keenly aware of and trying to observe the struggles that people go through. Is that something that you've had a bit of pushback on in terms of talking about your diagnosis? 
Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point. It's not really something I've had pushback on, but it's something that I perceive of myself, you know? I I think, God, there's more to me than ADHD. Come on, you don't have to just talk about ADHD all the time. But I think what people don't understand is that having that diagnosis or finding that out about yourself is so life-changing. It's so validating. It explains everything that you've been through your whole life. I was 42 when I was diagnosed. So 42 years of kind of searching for the thing, like, what is it? You know, we've just done this retreat that we were discussing before we started recording. 25 ADHD women in one room. Some of them had businesses. A lot of them were doctors, teachers, but all, you know, very high functioning, very kind of successful in their own area and the sense of relief in that room for those people who finally had an answer and there was varying degrees of empowerment and frustration and negativity and anger about it everyone was at different stages of the diagnosis but I think this is what people fail to understand that it's not just that we want to talk about it all the time because we're self-obsessed and whatever else it's because our whole life has just changed and there's so much to talk about and there's so much to discuss And actually, once you find people that you can discuss it with, as we found out the weekend, (laughs) it's just kind of this tap that you can't turn off. So, yeah, I get it. I mean, I get that there's a lot of ADHD content online at the moment, but for a reason, people are, are desperately looking for that support. Yeah. I find it really helpful as well as a parent and as a business person. And obviously, you're talking there about your diagnosis affecting every area of your life. And it's also affected your business, hasn't it? Yeah, massively. Can you tell us a bit about what's changed on that front? Yeah, I mean, everything's changed. One of the things I talk about is, you know, as I've just said there, when you get this diagnosis, everything changes apart from your business. You know, you have all these internal changes, these realizations. But if you have a business like I had, I had, you know, 40 in my team at one point, that doesn't change. Like everything else carries on around you while you're having this internal kind of shift and realization and light bulb life changing experience. And then externally, everything stays the same. So What I realized in my specific business situation was that actually I hadn't built a business, I built a prison and it was just the worst possible environment for anyone with an ADHD brain, but particularly me specifically. I really, really struggle with RSD, rejection sensitivity dysphoria, which is a really common thing with ADHD. I'm very susceptible to like other people's energy and I'm really like sensitive to all kinds of things actually energy like sound light so actually being in an open plan office like I was (laughs) with 40 other people and clients and demands and firefighting and all of this stuff never mind all of the changes you experience by running a business that is solely reliant on a platform like Facebook It was just a recipe for complete and utter burnout. And my only regret is that I didn't make the decision six months before because I knew what I needed to do, but I kept the business going for the wrong reason. So 
Yeah, so everything's changed. I made the decision quickly, I made it happen quickly, and I've honestly never looked back. And did you have any idea at that point what you were going to do next? Um, no, probably <laughs> not. Probably not. I still don't really feel, like I said at the beginning, oh yeah, what am I? What do I do? I still don't really feel like, I think one of the things I know is that I don't want a business. I want to be me and I want to be able to kind of flex and flow and support people. As At the moment, I'm supporting a lot of people with ADHD, but even on that journey, I'm realising like who I want to work with, who I don't want to work with, where I can support people the most, where I can make the best impact. I'm running these kind of strategy intensives and the variety of people I'm getting through is absolutely incredible. I've had real estate agents from America who must have shared my details somewhere because all I've got on my work with me form now is these real estate agents from America, <laughs> which is amazing. I've had very successful international CEOs and that, you know, coaches, service providers, all of that kind of thing. But there's just such a variety of people that I just feel really lucky to be able to it's not even about pick and choose. I don't mean that in an arrogant way. I mean, literally build my brain first business as I go along. So yeah, I feel very fortunate to be able to do that. And so if anyone's wondering about that term, we've used it a couple of times, brain first business. What specifically are you doing now that you haven't been doing before? The term brain first business I use because there's no denying that everyone should be building a brain first business. We know so much about mental health and neurodiversity and general well-being that we should all be building businesses around our brain. But the fact is that we don't. We build businesses around financial goals or, you know, ego goals or whatever it might be. But the reality is that a lot of people, when I talk about brain first business, think that we're talking about just building a nice little business that doesn't actually achieve anything. But if we want to achieve something, if we want to hit those goals, if we don't build a brain-first business as neurodivergent founders, business owners, there is no way we're going to hit those goals because we are just living in this burnout cycle. And until we can pull ourselves out of that burnout cycle, we're just going to stay in this place where we don't achieve our goals, then we fall back into like shame, failure, what, you know, whatever that cycle is for each person. So until we build a business that works around our specific brain, and that is a bit about ADHD traits, but it's also about, you know, your lifestyle, your home situation. How much money do you want to make? How much money do you actually need to make? Like what's enough? So it's kind of taking all of those things and then building a very zoomed out like vision and strategy around that so that we can enjoy our lives. We have enough energy outside of our businesses to actually enjoy our lives, which is such a human right, isn't it? But so many people don't have that. They just don't have, they're so exhausted from their business that, you know, everything else is off. And I speak to people every day who, are, you know, don't have a social life, don't exercise, don't have any hobbies, don't do anything outside of work because they're just hyper-focused on it and just completely exhausted. I'm laughing because it's so relatable. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's relatable for all of us, isn't it? That's the point for me. It's like, once you've got that information about how your brain works, 
you owe it to yourself and your family and everyone around you to do something with that. Nothing frustrates me more than when I'm working with someone or speaking to someone and everything's like, yeah, but it's my ADHD. And like, once you have that information, you have to then build systems or processes or change your environment or change your business model to mitigate for that because otherwise you're going to spend the rest of your life just burnt out and kind of a slave to this incredible brain that we have you're never going to find that magic in your brain if all you're doing is looking at the kind of negatives and the downsides and if somebody's listening to this and thinking i think i might be stuck in that kind of a rut Is there a first step that they can take to try and help themselves identify what they could potentially improve? Yeah, I think that a lot of us know what an absolute mess the diagnosis system and the, you know, that process is at the moment, particularly with the NHS. The absolute joy of so many people talking about ADHD now and raising awareness is that there's so many different places you can go to, whether that's you know, someone's kind of lighthearted content on Instagram or some of the magazine, like Attitude magazine is brilliant. There's some incredible podcasts. The Women's Wellbeing uh, ADHD podcast with Kate Moyseff is absolutely brilliant. I love that podcast. So if there's women listening who are, you know, of our age, like in their 40s, I hope I haven't offended you there. (laughs) Um, you've just given me a compliment by thinking you might have (laughs) I would highly recommend that Kate really digs into like how it affects your hormones and all of that kind of stuff so there's so many places to go obviously a lot of people ultimately want a diagnosis the path becomes a bit less clear at that stage because really if you want one quickly you have to go down the private route and actually I always say to people for me there's only two reasons to go for diagnosis and that's either validation or medication and both are completely valid I totally get it but if you feel happy with self Med, um, self, not self-medicating, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> we all do that. Uh, self-identifying, self-diagnosing, and you're not particularly interested in medication, then I would kind of just look elsewhere for that content and that support. And what about if there are business owners listening and thinking, yep, I'm happy, I am pretty confident, I've self-diagnosed and I want to run a brain-first business. What would be your first tip? I think that there's a stage of getting really, really honest with yourself because the biggest thing that I come up against with clients and when I reflect on it myself, the biggest obstacle is being honest with yourself and being honest with the people around you and having those difficult conversations because you know, as a collective, we're not massive fans of confrontation in general. A lot of us are people pleasers. We don't like to kind of rock the boat. But when I track my own journey back and when I'm working with people and and they always want to make an excuse around, oh, well, I'll just see how it goes. And then maybe I'm like, you can't see how this, I can tell you how this is going to go, you know? So a lot of it does come down to having those difficult conversations because if you're going to change 
anything around you, you have to start quickly making those actual like practical changes. It's like, if nothing changes, nothing changes, does it? You know, we have to start that momentum by actually identifying what needs to be changed around us and then making those changes. And I think that's the hardest bit. And let's talk a bit more specifically about the focus of this podcast, which is organic marketing. Yeah. Can you share some of the most effective organic methods that you've used to grow any of your businesses? There's something that we don't talk about very much in organic marketing. You know, I think the easy answer to that is, oh, make sure that you're hitting your content pillars and that, you know, there's some reach content and some nurturing content. But actually, I think a huge part of organic, particularly social, is energy and is just having that energy and showing up with the right energy because I actually haven't done this as a test. But, you know, the times when you post from a place of like, oh, I have to put something up, I'm busy, I don't really want to talk about this. I don't really want to show up, that awful phrase that everyone talks about. But you do it anyway and, you know, it flops completely. And then you could have a meme that's taken you like three seconds to create, but you're just posting it on the fly and you've had a great day and you're feeling really positive and you're you're not like, oh, this has to do well. And, you know, it just flies and goes crazy. And I've had a lot of those moments recently and yes there is a caveat because I am posting about ADHD and it is a very kind of niche area and highly searched area which is also where some of that narrative comes in around you know are people like jumping on this trend for engagement which you know I hope I don't have to say is absolutely not what I'm doing at all But yeah, I think energy is a huge thing that people don't really talk about very much. I don't know that it's particularly a strategy, but I definitely think it's something that has a massive impact. And also, I feel like you can really see when someone's posting with that desperate energy, can't you? Totally. You really can. Like, it's hard to put into words, but you can really tell when people are struggling in business and and you're seeing it a lot at the moment where people are kind of swinging between being angry with the market and, you know, particularly small kind of product business, like angry with the market and then, oh, please, and then sales and, you know, I think, yeah, energy is a huge factor, I think. Yeah, completely agree. And I think you're right. I think it is part of your strategy, part of one's strategy. I always talk about having your baseline content but then also creating and sharing in the moment. And I think that's what we're talking about here is that in the moment energy, isn't it? Yeah. Where you're just really up for it. Yeah, it's so interesting though, Nikki, because I've talked to so many people about this and some very, very, very successful business people who have ADHD. And we've had the conversation about, it's like this sort of secret where they're like, um, do you batch content? And I'm like, oh my God, no. I like, I couldn't. It was being possible. And they're like, oh my God, me neither. Oh, I'm so glad you said that, you know? So I think that there is something to do with ADHD. It could be a lack of planning, but for me, it very much comes down to the energy thing again, where I have to talk about what I'm thinking about right now. Yeah. I've tried using schedulers before. If I schedule a post... 
But it's a surprise to me as anyone else when I see it pop up on my feed, you know. I'm like, oh, that's good. Oh, that's rubbish. Oh, I did that. It's not even about authenticity. As a person, if I'm going to put my energy behind it, it has to be something I care about right now, I think. Absolutely. And you've been very successful at growing your audience over the years. Can you tell us a little bit about how you think you've managed that? Is there anything that really sticks out or has it been a very linear process? Um, I've done a few crazy things. So when I first grew my account was when I had the agency and I used to have this training platform called the Ecom Growth Hub. And I... I think I was on like 3,000 or something, 2,000, something like that. Very small numbers, but this was when you had to have 10K for the swipe up. Like 10K was, you know, the goal, wasn't it? The goal for everybody, wasn't it? The absolute (laughs) goal. So I was growing a bit. I was kind of growing my account and I think I hit like 5K maybe. And then I did this competition. which was so mental thinking about it now. Do you remember this? I don't know. I don't know what you're going to (laughs) say. I did this competition to hit 10K and I gave away five grand. Oh my God. I don't think I knew that. (laughs) (laughs) Even saying that now, I'm like, what was I thinking? I literally get, it was this huge competition. Do you know what? It was amazing. It was absolutely incredible. Like so many people engaged because like, tell me how you would spend it. And people were, I think, emailing me. There was stuff sent to the office. People had like created these books to show how they were going to spend it. Created all these different products to show me what they wanted to do. And it was amazing. So it was five grand, a year's mentoring and a year free in the Ecom Growth Hub. It was a ridiculous prize. (laughs) So that's how I hit 10K. I hit 10K quickly with that, obviously. Amazing. And so you went slightly beyond 10k, I'd imagine, at that point? Yeah, I think it just kind of carried on growing from then. I think that gave me the momentum. Yeah. At that point, I was very much talking about marketing, e-commerce, product businesses, founder content. And then, no surprise, as my kind of passion for the business dropped off a bit, so did my passion for content. And I think for the last probably 2021, 22, I was just in a bit of a funk with it, just not really posting very much. I'd kind of fallen out of love with like sharing every aspect of my life, you know. And as a lot of people have seen over the last few years, I think I lost about a thousand followers, something like 500 followers, something like that. Because you had your business then. So did you have anybody on the team helping you with content? No, I've always done my own content. Yeah, it's the same as the batch posting thing. Yeah. It's like my emails. I've tried to get help with emails before. I just can't do it. So then I sold the business. And then this year, I think it was like January, February time. I just had this sense of freedom that, you know, when you've got a team, even though it's, you know, it's it's my business Instagram, I have a responsibility to that team to 
post stuff that's going to get the business more business you know there's an impact to me just posting whatever the hell I want so I think after Christmas this year I started to you know feel a bit more everything was getting tied up in the business and I just had this sense of freedom and this I can talk about whatever I want to talk about now and actually what I want to talk about right now is ADHD and the reason I sold the business and you know how positive I feel about it because I think that's one of the things people say to me like I feel really positive about ADHD I'm so grateful to so many things about it and so I started posting more about ADHD and so from the middle of February I was on 18k and I've just hit like 52 or something I think (laughs) that's incredible leaning into your niche yeah and there's definitely caveats with that because there's times when I think I don't really just want to talk about ADHD Mm. and I know now I've got one post that has got 12,000 followers from it, from one post. Wow. So I know the posts now that are going to create that huge growth. And I can tell you now, I'm sure you know this, Nikki, but anyone listening, it is not worth it. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that experience is not worth it. It's so overwhelming. It's so like burnout conducive. I really had to take my foot off the gas. So Whereas I went through this phase of like more followers, more ADHD content, more followers. Now I make sure everything I post is very specifically ADHD founder content so that I'm not getting the, you know, trolling and all of that stuff that I was getting over those couple of months. It's just not worth it. Yeah. And I know that sometimes people can think it's easy for her or it's okay for them. They started growing their audience before everything got saturated or the algorithm made it hard or whatever. Is there any advice that you would give to somebody who is trying to grow an audience, let's say on Instagram today, and is really struggling with those kinds of feelings and wondering if it's ever going to happen for them? Yeah, I think that I was that person. You know, I thought about everyone that was growing in, I don't know, 2016. I was like, oh, it's all right for you. The algorithm (laughs) was so different, you know. And there's no denying the fact that the bigger the audience, in theory, the more people you get in front of. But there's a huge difference, isn't there? I could have hit 100K by now. Like, I know the content I would need to put out there to hit 100K. But would those people be my clients? Absolutely not. So what are you doing this for? Are you doing it for fame? Do you want to be an influencer? Because even if you want to be an influencer, you have to hit some kind of engagement metric. People that are buying audiences are not getting the deals that you think they're getting. If it's to build a service business or a product business... What do you really need those numbers for? I think that our view on numbers has changed so much, specifically in the industry. Maybe it hasn't quite spread out. And I know that there is a certain social proof or whatever that does come with those numbers. But, you know, they're called vanity metrics for a reason, aren't they? I would say to anyone that's thinking... Am I ever going to achieve it? Am I ever going to hit it? What is it? Like, what are you looking to achieve? Because if it's business growth, don't conflate that with audience growth at all costs. It's about growing your audience. You actually don't need that many people in your audience if 50% of them are going to buy from you. Yeah. And so 
Do you think there's anything you would do differently if you were starting state? Would you <laughs> would you run that competition? I definitely wouldn't give away five bloody grand again. No. <laughs> Oh my God, I was a different person in whenever that was, 20, whatever, 2019, whatever it was. Pre-COVID, pre, yeah, crazy. Would I do anything different? I mean, I would love to say that I would be consistent. If you look back through my Instagram, I have been so many different people with so many different, you know, brand colours and identities. And if you scroll back far enough, you'll find pictures of my tea and, you know, a cup of coffee when we all used to do that. So I don't know, would I do anything different? In theory, I would. Could I do anything different with my ADHD brain? Maybe not. Maybe not. And I think that's the point. Don't you think the beauty of being able to scroll back and look and think, oh, you know, maybe cringe a little bit at your cup of tea or whatever. But actually, it still turned out well, hasn't it? Even though you've been through all those changes, it's still working out. Yeah, absolutely. There's um, a Steve Jobs quote that I love, which is, you can only join the dots looking backwards. And it's like, there's so many things in my life that have happened. There's so many parallels to this because obviously ADHD wise, I can look back and think, yeah, there's so many dots to join. But even in terms of what gets you to where you are now, you know, looking at the things that feel like failures at the time, but actually just put you onto a different path. So yeah, there's definitely a deeper sort of meaning to that, isn't there? And sometimes maybe even the odd body swerve in there too. (laughs) Yeah. Definitely. (laughs) (laughs) So what is next for you? What have you got in the pipeline or what have you been doing recently that you're really enjoying and want to do a bit more of? I am loving my strategy calls at the moment. Absolutely loving them. I think I've found, and this is such a good, like practical example of being brain first, which is I have loved in the past most of the clients that I've worked with. My one-to-one like coaching clients, the longer-term ones, I've really enjoyed it in the past. But actually, what I've found now is like my absolute superpower is the short, sharp, face-to-face, what's the issue, right? I tap into my brain, find a solution, find a way forward. Off you go. You go and do that. If you want to book another call, book it in. Rather than the kind of six month, we've got a project, we're working through it together. I I just can't keep my focus for that long. So I found something that really works for me. So I love these strategy calls. We have just today launched Founder Brain, which is our new like founder community, which we just want to do it really differently. It's not about, oh, there's a call today and there's a workshop here. It's just a place for founders to hang out, skill swap, recommend people, get business, buy stuff, discuss things honestly. Because, you know, like a few years ago, Facebook groups were brilliant, weren't they? And really like trusted sources of information. And now they're just not that. They're just full of spam. You don't see anything. So we're calling it the biggest shared founder brain on the internet. And so I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited about growing that. Amazing. So where can people find out if people are listening and want to know more? Where can they find out about these two things, your founder brain community and your strategy calls? The best place is if you go to my Instagram, probably Amanda Perry and just checking the links there. Yeah, both of them are listed in there. 
Guess what I'm about to do? Stop. <laughs> the best thing about Founder Brain is we've launched it. So for the first 200 people, it's five pounds a month for life. What? I know. Basically giving it away. Just as well this podcast got recorded today so I can get in there first. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Oh, thank you so much. I have really, really enjoyed you sharing more of your journey. And it's great to hear you feeling in such a good place and excited for the future. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much, Nikki. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for inviting me on. You're very welcome. Catch you soon. Speak to you soon. Take care. What great insights Amanda shared about building a business that suits us and the lives that we want to create. I hope you got as much inspiration from listening to her as I did. On next week's episode, I'll be back with another solo show where I'll be taking you behind the scenes of preparing for a free challenge in real time because that's what I'll be doing. I'm going to walk you through the process step by step as I prepare for my upcoming free challenge that I'll be running at the start of June. That podcast episode will air next week on Friday at 7am. I'd love you to join me then. Until Friday, have a great week. Take care of yourselves and keep marketing.